The reading for today can be found in Mark chapter 6, verses 1 to 13. A prophet without honour. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him, that he even does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and brother of James, Joseph, Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offence at him. Jesus said to them, Only in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his own house is a prophet without honour. He could not do any miracles there except lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. Jesus sends out the twelve. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. Calling the twelve to him, he sent them out two by two and gave them authority over evil spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra tunic. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, Shake the dust off your feet when you leave as a testimony against them. They went out and preached, and people should repent. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So uh, last week, um, I'm not sure how many of you were here, um, but we had another Ben um, with um, almost the same surname as me. There was lots of confusion, lots of people thinking that I was preaching, and then lots of confusion for me, and I was really scared, thinking, gosh, I hope I haven't got the right sermon. And then was like, oh, Ben, are you going to call this sermon today? Um, but he made a really funny joke at the beginning of the sermon, and he said, um, between me, funny. <laughs> I should probably just go with what I've got written down, really. So um, this morning, we've got a sermon of, of two, two halves, really, because we've got two seemingly unrelated stories. Jesus going home um, to his hometown, speaking in the synagogue, being um, rejected, and then that he uh, admonishing that, and then him then sending out the disciples and um, that story, and they don't seem to be related, so we're going to kind of do it bit by bit. Um, so, Jesus goes home. We know this to be Nazareth, although it's not specifically said, but that's where he came from. So he goes home to Nazareth. And if you've read um, the previous five chapters or listened to the sermons over the last few weeks, you'd have noticed that his ministry had started in earnest. He's already raised people from the dead, He's calmed storms, and he's healed many other sick people. And all of this had happened on the shores of Lake Galilee. 
and in those kind of like towns and villages around, around the lake, where the big places were. And this is his first kind of instance that's recorded of him going home post the start of his ministry. So it turn, Saturday comes around while he's at home, and that means going to the synagogue for it's the Sabbath. Now, a Jewish worship service would have been very different, <laughs> to say the least, uh, to us. Their focuses are very different. They would have focused a lot more on the Torah, reading and listening to that, but also focusing on prayer, communal and individual, whereas we have a bit more focus on music and then listening to me. But they wouldn't have just had just one person uh, talking. They would have had time set aside for people travelling through, to, uh, and the rabbis who have been walking through to come and share their piece or their interpretation of the scripture that was written. Written? Read, written? That's a combination of read and written there, uh, read out. Um, but also, and especially, for the hometown rabbi coming back to preach. So Jesus stands up in his home synagogue, but we're not really told what he preached. But you can, if you look back through the Bible, you can see what, you can have a good guess at what it would have been. Something about the kingdom of heaven coming near, repent for the kingdom is near, those sorts of things. And people are amazed. Well, they start off being amazed, and the teaching is obviously amazing. Oi! It's obviously hitting home. But then the mood changes. Maybe Jesus hit a nerve, shares an uncomfortable truth. Maybe, but either way, he starts to lose the crowd, which is strange because you'd imagine that Nazareth, being around 200, maybe 300 people, that they'd be overjoyed. They'd celebrate this man, this who'd gone to the lake town, made it big. He had crowds following him wherever he went, coming home. You're like, Woo, Jesus, you're so, like a mini-celebrity. You'd expect them to celebrate, exaggerate the stories of those people who'd gone from their little town to the big town to made it. But they don't. They have already decided, they know who this rabbi is. You see, Mark's gospel is, um, is a journey. <laughs> I've just got uh, that song in my head. No, that's terrible. Um, and um, it's all about identity, the identity of Jesus. And Mark is taking us from um, a position of not knowing who Jesus is all the way through to knowing who he is. And um, in that journey, we hear the opinions of rulers, religious authorities, the crowds, disciples, and even his own family members. For the author of Mark, the important question keeps coming around to, who do you, the reader, say that Jesus is? Do you honour Jesus as a prophet, maybe more than a prophet? And what or who does that make you? Does it mean that you have new allegiances that maybe go beyond your traditional country or family values? And as you answer these kind of questions, Mark is leading you into a confession of faith. Now, as you read through the gospel, you'll notice little signposts that come up throughout the gospel, whether it's from right at the beginning where Jesus is getting baptised and God sends his spirit like a dove 
into that situation and says, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Speaking of the identity of Jesus. Or maybe a bit later, with Peter's confession of Christ, when Jesus asks him, who do people say I am? And um, Peter answers, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, uh, and still others, one of the prophets. Jesus then asks Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter, being Peter, actually managed to answer this one quite well. And he said, you are the Christ. But yet these people in Nazareth thought they already knew who Jesus was. And you hear it in the questions that they ask. First, isn't he the carpenter? Now, carpenter can translate into like woodworker, stonemason, maybe blacksmith, but either way, it's a low-scale job labourer, basically. Bit of a worker, not high up in society. And here it's definitely meant as a derogatory remark. Isn't he the carpenter? The guy who came and fixed our roof? Isn't like the wobbly leg on the chair? That's him. Why are we listening to him? The people are saying he isn't that special. Look at him, acting as if he's better than us. He's the carpenter. But the next question would have hurt. Isn't he Mary's son? Now, scholars can't quite agree whether Joseph had passed away by this point or whether he was still around. He's not really mentioned that much. Um, But it still would have been a highly provocative question if we remember Christmas and the circumstances around conception and the birth of Jesus it would have been scandalous for Mary to have been pregnant outside of wedlock can you imagine the rumors going around in the village but it's a detail that both Matthew and Luke try to deal with at the beginning of their gospels you have that really long bit that nobody wants to read on Christmas morning the genealogies of Jesus, and it goes on and on and on. But it's there to help cement that Jesus has a father's line, to help dispel some of these rumours that must have been going around. But given this still, Jesus should have been known as Jesus, son of Joseph. So to refer to him as son of Mary hints at those rumours and the mutterings that must have been going on for 30 years. And in the minds of the people of Nazareth, gives credence to the idea that they don't have to listen to this man or his teaching. Next, we hear Jesus' brothers and sisters get a mention, as if to say, Jesus is just one of the kids of the village. We don't have to listen to him. He's just one of those youngsters. Why would we listen to a child? So they take offence. They see no reason to believe that this man, Jesus, was different from them, much less that he was specially anointed by God. Now, I've been coming to church for almost all all my life, which is almost but definitely nowhere near 30 years, nowhere near. Um, (laughs) And some of you may be surprised that I'm not the same as when I started going. This is me. Totally right response. (laughs) even if it was just my wife Um, so that's me being held by my dad at my christening and that's me just in a cool t-shirt jumper cool don't I look don't I look lovely 
For one, I'm a little bit taller than I was then. I've got a bit more hair on my face. And although some of you will laugh, I anticipate it, I've also grown up. I'm no longer that baby that cried at inappropriate times, take note, Sophia, and I'm not the toddler who walked wherever he liked, again, take note, Sophia, or am I the boy who once got grounded and locked in my bedroom and then climbed out of my bedroom to still go to church because I was sad like that, or the disaffected and drifting teenager? I've grown up. I'm a man, yeah, I know, with a wife and a child and it's a little so oh sorry so when I go back to the churches that I grew up in and they just see Ben the boy Ben the guy who was I changed nappies for and there's always one lady a lovely lady called Helen who used to babysit me she's like oh man I remember changing your nappies I'm like thanks <laughs> thank you very much they can't see past how they knew me and embrace how I am now. And it's a little like that for Jesus in the first half of our reading. He's gone home and he can't, people can't see past that. They can only see what they saw. So Jesus rebukes them and says, only in his hometown is a prophet without honour. And the result of all this? Jesus is unable to do any miracles, so Mark writes. Although he then covers himself by saying he can only do a few miracles. And on Tuesday, we, we have morning prayer. We were sat out here. And um, Jenny and Joe said, wouldn't it be fantastic just to do a few miracles? <laughs> That'd be amazing. To, to not have like crowds for us, just to be able to do a few miracles would be amazing. But we find in verse 6, one of the only two instances that Jesus was amazed. And the nine o'clockers absolutely nailed this question, so the challenge is on for you guys. Where is the other instance of Jesus being amazed? Oh, a little slower than John Wayne this morning, but I'll let you off. Yes. So in that instance, in that story, Jesus is amazed at the faith of St. John because he's got so much faith Amazing. But in this instance, Jesus is amazed at the lack of faith of the people of Nazareth. Now, and I, I say this very loudly, hopefully, Jesus, the, well, the lack of faith on the part of the people did not, did not inhibit, restrict, or disable Jesus. That is not what happened. <laughs> there are a couple of things going on, though. Firstly, some commentators would say, that Jesus simply chose not to perform any miracles in Nazareth due to the climate of disbelief. If you read Matthew's account of the incident, he says he did not do any miracles there because of their lack of faith. The most likely explanation is that their lack of faith meant that there were only very few who were prepared to ask. If you don't believe that someone has the power to heal you, why would you even ask? Perhaps you know the scene from the film A Life of Brian, or The Life of Brian, where Michael Palin, as a leper, is complaining to Brian about the fact that Jesus came and healed him, and he didn't really want to. It was really bad for business, he said, he was 
doing very well begging, thank you very much, but now I'm an ex-beggar and he's jumping around. I'm an ex-beggar, tell me you're an ex-beggar. <laughs> but Jesus wouldn't do that. He wouldn't just go up to the beggar and say, you're healed, if he didn't actually want to be healed. But neither should we think that for some reason Jesus refused to heal them because of their lack of faith. That would be out of character with the Jesus we know from the rest of the gospel. He wouldn't come home, then decide that people here do not have enough faith, and therefore I'm going to refuse to heal you. In other places, he says that you need faith the size of a mustard seed. That's all you need. So the size of someone's faith is not the issue. There are also times, thanks Paul, uh, there are also times when Jesus had compassion on people. It would be difficult to think that he lacked compassion for the people he grew up with. But it's also important to remember that a miracle is not just an isolated event. It's an event that is interpreted by people around it. So, if Jesus isn't regarded as somebody who is capable of healing anybody, why would they attribute that to Jesus? Now, there is a massive, massive discussion to be had around healing and unanswered prayers and prayers that you just seem to be saying over and over again. And I don't, I'm scared of that discussion, to be honest, because it's filled with hurt and pain and it's hard. But I want to recommend to you a book um, it's called God on Mute by Pete Grieg, I think. And uh, it's fantastic. And it really deals, deals sensitively and powerfully with the idea of unanswered prayer um, and prayers that do get answered and maybe why that is. Uh, so I really recommend I have a copy that I can lend anybody. So the other half of our reading, the sending of the 12. To start with, it looks like it's just a, like a break in the sand, boom, new story. And you could read it like that, or you could read it as a direct response to what had just happened. Either way, the mission of Jesus is not held back for long. He's getting straight back on it. And Jesus has decided that this is the time that the time is right to see what these disciples, this merry band of 12, are made of. And I'm sure you've all heard a sermon with the line, God call, did it, no, God doesn't choose the qualified, but qualifies the chosen. Have you all heard that? I've heard it many times. And the disciples are good, solid proof of that. <laughs> they are a bunch of misfits who mess up. And these are just some of the um, ones that happen in the run-up to this story. So it's only five, six chapters old at this point. But they fail to understand parables and need ex extra explanations. By the end of that chapter in Mark 4, um, they wake, wake him up saying, Jesus, don't you care about us? They've just come from West Country, apparently, sorry. And, uh, <laughs> don't you care, Master Baggins? And in, in a cameo role in Mark 5, they question Jesus in that story when he's in the crowd and someone comes up and he's instantly healed. And uh, he's like, who touched me? And they're like, Jesus, Jesus, loads of people have touched you. You're in a crowd, Jesus. What are you, the silly question. And yet, he gives these people, these people, authority over evil spirits and sends them out into the surrounding villages. 
Now, in truth, it wouldn't have just been, right, boom, off you go, no sticks, no saddles, off you go. He would, he would have been preparing them since the time he called them. He would have been giving them teaching and instruction on the kingdom of God and how that was going to be. He would have, um, he was performing miracles for them to witness what power there was. You think about raising the dead and casting out demons. He gives them explanation and then demonstration of that. It's fantastic. But then, really importantly, just before they get sent off, they experience what it's like to be rejected as a signal of what was to be expected in their work in the movement of Jesus. Because it's not all sunshine and joy. So Jesus sends them out, Noah style, two by two, like the animals. And this would have been, interestingly, I found this out, um, to comply with Jewish law. You need two people to have a witness, at least two. It does say three, so maybe you should have sent them three by three. Um, but he gave them strict instructions. Take nothing but a staff. Now, that would have been um, maybe a walking stick, but predominantly to bat away any wild animals. Um, uh, and then sandals. Now, where would any religious man be without his sandals? <laughs> and that's because they're expected to walk long distances. But please, please do note, um, there's absolutely no mention of socks with those sandals. No socks and sandals allowed in this ministry. <laughs> but they're not allowed to take an extra tunic. Now, I've never been to the Middle East. I've been to the, um, the North Pit of Africa, and it gets pretty cold there at night, so it's almost the same. So you can imagine how cold it gets at night. So they're not allowed to take the extra tunic, which would have helped at night. They're encouraged to sleep in people's homes, not to sleep rough. This isn't an opportunity for you to go and just, you know, sleep in a doorway. You have to go and find somewhere to sleep indoors. They weren't allowed to take extra food or money. Again, focusing, helping them to focus on relying on the hospitality of others. Now, the Jewish culture was very different, and it was real. They, if someone came to your door, you had to take them in. It was kind of like, ooh. But testing that, making sure, because this was to be a movement of the people that would start in people's homes, not in the synagogues. Because as we've already seen a little bit, and we'll see more and more throughout the, um, the Gospels, they become increasingly resistant to Jesus and his message. So much so that they try and kill it. <laughs> but have you ever wondered about the shaking of the dust? I found this out while I was kind of researching. It was uh, um, Pharisees, when they entered a Gentile land, when they then left the Gentile land, they were like, dirty, dirty, and then carry on. So when they entered Jerusalem, they would have made that place dirty. How insulting is that? And that's the point. If you reject... Jesus' message is meant to be like that. Do not reject the, um, the message of God. So the disciples go in their twos, and, um, and they do it. They just get on and do it. I, I can't, I, I, there's not much like dialogue there, but I, I can't imagine being stood in the back going, uh, no, no clothes. What? No bread. It's not even a, what? I would have been a little bit more resistant to this, but they get on and do it. And by the, according to the rest of what Mark writes, they were successful. They drove out many demons, anointed many sick people with oil. Times and cultures 
change. Of course they do. And I'm not advocating this as the practice that's best for spreading the gospel. And neither does Jesus. He, this isn't the only way that he says that you should go and talk about, uh, talk about himself. But it should give us a pause for thought. As many of us worship in well-appointed churches, we, have, we live with salaries and pensions and any number of shoes and extra clothes and fridges full of food. But the text is not telling you off. It's not scolding. It's not a, you should give it... It's not that. This, I think shows the power of being obedient to following the instructions that jesus gives us the disciples do it many people are healed and many demons are cast out but it also shows us how following him can be an adventure that yes (laughs) may lead to us being uncomfortable maybe even cold (laughs) but it will lead us to doing things we thought we could never dare to even attempt But imagine, just for a moment, if you were, if, just for a minute, if you, I don't know what I've written there, but it's, just imagine for a moment being able to heal just a few people, share the gospel with just a few people, kickstart a mini revival, change the lives of countries, corporations. This is a glimpse of the glory and the kingdom of God. A kingdom which we as his church are here to usher in. In a moment I'm going to stop talking, which is a great thing. Um, But we're going to spend some time just uh, in quiet and I want to give you three questions just to mull over. The first being, who do I say that Jesus is. Throughout this story, we've heard people saying who Jesus is. But as a result of that, who does that make me? And more importantly, what am I going to do about it? I want to encourage us all really to spend some time thinking about and asking God for an answer to these three questions. If someone was to ask you who Jesus is, what would your response be? How would you begin to answer that question? And knowing who Jesus is, what does that make you or who does that make you? And specifically, what does he then want you to do about it? For some of you, that will be what you're doing already. Fantastic, top marks. Maybe that's what you're moving towards. Again, brilliant, amazing. For others, maybe not be where you're heading. Maybe God is a God who loves to turn us around gently. Maybe that's what's going to be happening. But I know that the disciples had one-on-one tuition. Right? They, they had Jesus, God, in their presence. They ate with him, they slept with him, they did everything. It was amazing. And how, how could you not be encouraged when you spend all that time with him? But don't be afraid, because I have two last points, two points to encourage you with, um, with a few, well, two things that I don't think the disciples had, but we do. We have the experience of 
the faithfulness of God in Jesus, both crucified and risen. We also have the promise of his advocate, the Holy Spirit, that lives and dwells in us. So trust in God. Trust him like the disciples did and be encouraged for the fruit that can be produced. And in the next few minutes, ask him. But more importantly, be expectant for an answer. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray that you would send your Holy Spirit afresh in this place. That you would inspire us, guide us and lead us. Build our faith and lead us to trust in you. Remind us of how you love us and how you care for us. Amen.